Hello, this is episode 288 and in it, I'm sharing part two of my conversation with building biologist Zara Dakota from The Healthy Home. Now, if you haven't listened to part one of my conversation with Zara in episode 287, make sure you head back there now to catch up because this episode will make a lot more sense to you then if you listen to that one first. So you can find that episode by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 287. This is the thing. Like, is mold and damp really that big a problem in our homes? I know lots of people will have that question. Well, I think we're seeing a really growing awareness of just how much of a problem it can be. And the World Health Organization has advised in their latest housing and health guidelines that dampness and mold related problems should be prevented or treated early as there is no safe level of exposure. And gone are the days of timber frames sitting out in the elements getting drenched and them then just being able to get clad and lined without drying out fully or inspecting to ensure that future problems won't occur. This is a risk that the industry now knows and needs to understand that it's got to manage proactively. And I'm really excited that you as the homeowner are able to hear ways that this can be done during the design and construction, uh, you know, particularly what to discuss with your builder on your project, because this is going to arm you with really fantastic knowledge and information to prevent problems in your project. Listen to this conversation as I talk more with Zara about the effects of household mould and damp and the design elements and material choices around the home that really can have an impact on our health. Remember, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 288. That's the numbers 288. Now, let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take and the best way to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, 
let's get on to the episode. Just before we jump into part two, I want to remind you a little bit about building biologist Zara Dakota from The Healthy Home. Zara provides consultancy services and online courses and packages to empower homeowners, builders, architects and designers to choose the right materials to design, build and create a healthy home. She has credentials from the Australian College of Environmental Studies, the Building Biology Institute in Santa Fe, USA and in Natural Healthy Buildings with the International Institute for Building Biology and Ecology. Zara has a special interest in healthy building materials and healthy new home design. And like so many things in home building, she believes success in achieving a healthy home starts early in the design phase. And if you have spent any time with me here at Undercover Architect, you'll know that I talk about that a lot. What you do in the design phase makes such a significant impact on your project, on the home you create and the experience that you have. Now, we kick off part two of my conversation with Zara as I ask her about what she's specifically teaching to those in the industry about mould, condensation and building healthier homes. Let's jump into my conversation with Zara now. Yeah, so the focus that I, what I'm really focusing on in the mastermind is the the deep dive into the health and environmental impacts of the materials with a huge focus on how to assess the mould susceptibility of materials, what sort of criteria to consider and also This year, a lot of my time this year has been spent going over my previous research and really looking at what are the manufacturers saying about the mould susceptibility of products, what do the studies say, and what what have mould testing technicians observed, often um, quite different. And then also looking at, yes, little design, not little, design strategies to reduce mould risk. But yeah, the construction stage um, is, is a big focus as well in terms of protecting those materials from moisture. And what kind of things have you been teaching in that regard in terms of how industry needs to think about the construction process to really avoid mould becoming a problem in the finished home? Yeah, I think a big one is I know that builders have been having problems with a lot of the timber framing being delivered to site already mouldy. So I've been encouraging them to start having conversations with their suppliers about how they're storing the timber uh, because they they won't be able to accept um, timber that's already contaminated. Um, moisture testing it uh, before the walls get sealed, uh, drying out the concrete slabs before the floors uh, before the flooring is installed. They're the big ones. Yeah, I know that we um, spoke about uh, during the mini mind. You know, um, builders using dehumidifiers and things like that to be able to dry the slab out before any flooring goes down. Using strategies like that to make sure, and ex- you know, because obviously they're they're working to a timeline. They probably can't leave the slab for weeks and weeks and weeks in, and also, you know, hedge their bets on what the weather's going to be doing. But a dehumidifier can be a really great way to accelerate that process. Yeah, I told um, my mentor in Canada that builders in Australia were doing that. He's like, that is kung fu. I've not heard of any builders doing that. If, if you know a builder that's doing that, you, I, that's the sort of builder I'd want to be building my home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other thing that I think is important is the the testing for water leaks. Uh, yeah, so Sean at Tassie Builders blog was showing them doing the water testing of the weather-resistive membrane. So, you know, if there's any penetrations, you want to make sure they've been properly sealed and doing that before the roof and the cladding goes on. And that's not something that's typically done during the construction stage. It does add extra time to a build, but it's definitely something that I would want to happen on my build. Yeah, I know having a chat with Hamish White from Sanctum Homes, who's also a member of our mastermind group in Live Life Build, and so, um, you know, he's a passive house builder and builds, even if it's not a passive house certified home, he'll build it to passive house standards as much as he possibly can. And 
one of the checks that he always does is, you know, after the building's wrapped is looking at then spraying it down. I remember Stuart Shelton doing it at, at um, Ballina as well. I went there and visited that site and Dan from ProClimber was there doing a demonstration and showing, you know, the windows taped and then hosing down the windows from the outside. And I think that's the thing is like, that's, that's actually what happens in America. They, they have that water, that have that weather resistant barrier be the waterproofing or not waterproofing, but the weather resistant uh, lining to the home. So then the cladding is the insurance policy. It's not the thing that is required to do all the jobs. You know, the cladding is sort of that extra thing on top. And then you, you know, but what's really fascinating in talking to Hamish about it and, you know, how he shared with the other builders is what it then affords you is you can basically get the frame up, get the building wrapped test that it's doing the job that it needs to and then you know in a in a location like Victoria where the weather's you know a bit hit and miss and you know uh you can be having rain one day and all that kind of stuff they can still be continuing work inside whilst they then you know wait for it to be dry outside to continue the work that they might need to do externally and so for him it's worked both from a a values point of view a, a building quality point of view a performance point of view and a streamlining of his construction process point of view and I think that you know, I'm seeing builders now in Queensland who might not have had the same, you know, in the past, haven't had the same weather concerns that we might've had in Victoria, but now because of the the impact that climate change is having on the weather, it's a little less predictable. They're starting to think of strategies like this as well, that they can use. And I'm seeing too, you know, builders all then also start to look at how they can prefab whole wall elements. So there's the, basically the timber frame, all of the weather resistant barrier, all of the, if they've got an Intello lining on the inside, all of that comes as a one modular unit pre-done so that the walls get put together very quickly. And it just accelerates that construction process. It prevents timber sitting out in the environment and potentially getting wet, um, which then, you know, saves them time and not having to wait for it to dry out. Like there's, and this is the thing I think as I saw this incredible uh, video only yesterday, actually on social media in the States, they were going through the stats for construction and they were talking about, I think for every seven, no, for every, every five builders retiring from the industry, there's only one entering. So in terms of the rate at which the availability of labor and expertise in the construction industry is disappearing because it's just not a career that is being chosen at the same rate that it was, you know, and they were talking about the fact that I think 20 or 30 years ago, the average age of a builder was around their early thirties. Now it's around their early forties. And so, you know, and some people have actually said they think it's around their fifties. And so just that the the looking at who's going to be retiring soon it was this really fascinating video about just what the industry is looking like I know that we've been hearing prefab being on the radar for probably I think for 15 years I've been hearing it's going to be the way to build in the next five years so I think that there's lots of opportunity for how builders think about this stuff and I love that yeah they're thinking about you know testing that and making sure that the building is is uh, keeping water out with that weather resistant barrier and that is a check that can happen just during construction and then things can keep moving and that's something that you can as a homeowner ask if you're specifying a weather resistant barrier and you're going to their effort to include that and then to have it detailed and you know speaking to a company like ProClima you know what's really great about ProClima for example and we're going to have Jesse Clark on the podcast soon is that they, you know, they have builders as their suppliers who then come out and help train how these things get installed. So, you know, the pro climber guys, the, all the reps that I've spoken to around the country are just 
so amazing, so knowledgeable, so passionate about educating others and improving the industry. Yeah. So I think that's really exciting as well as seeing that knowledge sharing happening. It's a lot more collaborative and that can only improve things as well. So now what do you think is still lacking in the update? So, you know, I love that you're excited when you saw them, obviously initially overwhelmed. I know that that's been how most industry have rep- have responded. It's like, because it's not only obviously all the changes, but the whole structure of the document has changed. And when you get used to reading something one way for a few decades, and then all of a sudden it looks completely different, that can be challenging. Oh, wow. So what, what do you think is still needs to come? What are you hoping will sort of start to be thought about and included in perhaps future iterations and that homeowners still need to have on their radars? Yeah, so I think it is important to be aware that it, it does only address roofs and walls and it doesn't necessarily address all the things in roofs and walls that like we've already touched on. Uh, foundations are really important. Making sure that a home is built on the right foundation for the site is a big one because you don't want rising damp in the foundations. And then there's other things like, you know, at the moment the construction code doesn't consider the health and environmental impacts of building materials. I'd love to see that in the future. And then there's the big electromagnetic field can of worms, which is a big monster. But at the moment, the the electrical code only, the, the objective of that is to prevent shock fire and injury. It doesn't take into consideration decades worth of scientific literature on the known health effects of electromagnetic fields. So I'd love to see some that um, happening one day. And then there's things like simple things like the health impacts of lighting. Like it's all very well to go and light our homes with lots of LED lights, but making sure it's the right type of lighting. My home is hideously bright white lights that can disrupt circadian rhythm melatonin production uh, melatonin plays a really important role in regulating excess estrogen which is linked to breast cancer so something as simple as making sure we're getting the lighting right in our homes can re- reduce our cancer risk wow so in terms of then people navigating those sort of fields is that where then a building biologist comes really in handy in terms of thinking, okay, well, I know that the code is going to deal with this, this, and this, and then these are the other things that, you know, because it sounds like some of that actually might just be straight specification or review of an electrical layout or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's not like a a, a really kind of uh, something that will necessarily upend your whole design process completely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is something else that I, I guess I want to get across is, as I mentioned earlier, it wasn't until I you know, I started the study in the building biology and then looked at the building science and realized that was the missing link. And I'm seeing the same thing in the building industry professionals that go through the mastermind that have done a passive house certification. I actually had one builder say to me, Evan Graham, he said he thought that passive house was a be-all and end-all, but then he realized that building biology is actually a really important component to delivering a healthy built environment. So And I get similar feedback from other people in the passive house space once they explore building biology. It's if if you want to create a healthy built environment, having one like building science or building biology without the other, it's a bit like pizza without cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, I think if if you're making a really airtight home, 
that then you're ventilating through, you know, uh, natural ventilation and mechanical recovery ventilation, your indoor air quality becomes super important. It's really relevant for your uh, personal health and your indoor air quality. I mean, we spend, I think, 80 to 90 percent of our time indoors. Your indoor air quality is fundamentally impacted by the building materials, soft furnishings, surfaces, covering all of those kinds of things that you place in your home and uh, what their kind of uh, composition is and how healthy they are. And so it's, you know, like you think of, I, I think that people are starting to get this, but it, it is really important to obviously realize that those things go hand in hand. And like you say, you know, to have a passive house understanding of how to build homes, but not understand the impact of the building materials you're choosing on that um, can be really problematic. And so things like the foundation design for the sites and things like that, how do you suggest people kind of, I suppose, learn more about that or speak to their team about that to make sure that they're not going to run into problems with rising damp and those kinds of things? Yeah, so engaging a site, potentially engaging a site drainage specialist, so really paying close attention to um, yeah, the topography of the site and looking at where water's draining and collecting and making sure that you're not going to run into problems and making sure there's really good draining and gradage away, sorry, draining and gradage. Drainage and grading. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, so if you're building on a slope or your home's at the bottom of a hill, then the ideal foundation would be stumps. And then something else that's really important for the foundations that's come up twice is the importance of proper soil testing. And Dwayne, I was so excited to see Dwayne had spoke about this on an entire episode on his podcast, but I had a client who she bought a brand new home and proper soil testing. They hadn't taken the soil tests from the part of the site where the home is going to be built. So that part of the site had highly reactive clay soils. So it wasn't built on the right foundation, resulted in um, movement and cracking of the slab, black mold. She got very sick. They had to sell the family home in a community that they loved. And years later, she's, you know, still recovering from the health effects and yeah, very, very stressful time. And yeah, so making sure that the soil testing is carried out properly so that the foundation's designed properly is really important. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, just from a risk management point of view, for making sure that you don't run into, I've had issues where the soil test wasn't done on the location that the project was, you know, it was done like in another part of the yard, but that property was, it was at the beginning of like a a hilly area in Brisbane. And so it was at the low end of the slope. And what, what was discovered is as they basically started to dig footings where the extension was going because they hadn't done the soil test there, this uh, homeowner said that they started digging where the footings were going to go and it just went into slop. And what was discovered was that the part, the lowest part of the valley had actually been filled over the years through sediment and things like that as, and then had been developed and, and their property was sitting right on the edge of, you know, where that fill sort of went to. So the part where it had been tested was pretty solid, but the part where the extension was going was part of this sort of sedimentary fill. And so the cost to them to then redesign the footings at the point where the builders on site times of the essence, you know, and, and you just kind of backed into a corner. So yeah, what I teach is that it's really important. Like, even if you have to pay for two soil tests, if you're doing a knockdown rebuild or you're doing an extension renovation that is going to require you to remove part of the house and before you rebuild, then paying to have that soil test reconfirmed and, and also um, making sure that the, the tester brings the right equipment so that they've got access to where they need to. And that kind of stuff is super important. So 
I yeah, I also had a builder say that yeah, this the soil was uh, on another project was given the wrong classification, and yeah, that had sub subsequent ramifications. So yeah, seems quite definitely. common. Um, now, for those that are working with architects and designers and builders, and they want to, they're really wanting to have a healthy home. What do you suggest that they look for in the professionals that they're going to work with? You know, the kinds of questions that they should ask before they choose, how they should go about auditing that they're getting the right advice. You know, all of those kinds of things to to make sure that they're getting the outcome they want. Yeah. I think a really good place to start is getting to know them as a person, their, their values, what kind of lifestyle they lead will give you some good clues as to whether or not they're going to be the right person for a healthy home project. And then I think give, getting a really good understanding of where they're at in terms of implementing the changes to the National Construction Code on their projects, um, their level of understanding about you know where the problems lie in terms of molding new builds and what strategies they implement to reduce the risks and then I think also as we touched on before I've learned some interesting lessons early on about you know a family member was embarking on a, he was building a holiday home in tropical north Queensland and I had done the design brief for that project the architect was really excited said he's really excited and open to working together when it actually came down to the conversations around some of the design strategies and materials, I was looked at as though I had two heads um, and I had to make a decision at that point to focus on the people who are ready to, um, to hear the information I've got to share. But I think getting an understanding of how open they are to information that they might not already be aware of is, you know, is there an attitude of I, I've already you know, they know everything or they're open to like collaboration and, and bringing in um, experts where there might potentially be knowledge gaps, where it's a, whether it's an EMF testing technician or someone with expertise in building science. And I think it's good to establish whether they've done any additional training since they became an architect or a builder, like have they got a passive house certification or, you know, have they ever worked with a building biologist? It's not to say don't go with them if they haven't done that already, but just getting a sense of where they're at in terms of their openness and willingness. And as you said before, something I've really noticed about the people that are upskilling in this space is this, you know, they're out there networking and collaborating with and learning from other people in their industry as well. I think it's really important. Yeah. It's something that I've noticed generally about, uh, like, I feel like these changes to the National Construction Code, they've been, they've been driven by larger policy decisions around, you know, improvement of the practices in the construction industry, but also about targeting energy targets that we have as a country for, you know, 2030, 2040, 2050, and the domestic residential market being seen as an opportunity to reduce its energy requirements and all of those kinds of things. So that's part of, you know, the NATO's whole of house, energy seven star rating, all of those kinds of things are feeding into that. And then it's also learnings from other locations like Canada and New Zealand with a leaky building syndrome. And then the livable housing guidelines incorporation, I think are largely driven by just seeing the need to age in place being coming a lot more required for us as an aging population. You know, like, it's not like these have just been plucked out of nowhere. And so I think that what I've noticed from the industry is that you will see you will see those who are totally embracing that we have been more than needing this. And so they've dived into the fact that, and, and been quite frustrated by perhaps some of the industry bodies not educating them the way that they need to, because the I think that particularly in the construction industry, uh, the industry bodies have been focused on fighting the changes rather than getting everybody up to speed on them. 
And so, and that's why we're seeing sort of the difference in adoption state to state. And, you know, some political parties have um, made calls that aren't in alignment with other states and those kinds of things. So I get, yeah, I, I've noticed generally that anybody in the industry who has a sustainability mindset in the way that they go about their work, they are much more collaborative because they're driven from values that are about improving everything for everyone. And it's not about this is my slice of the pie. I need to protect my my business. I need to protect my my niche of income. I need to protect, you know. So, and I it goes back as far as I remember when I had the I, I first spoke about Passive House on the um, podcast. Gosh, it's got to be you know three or four years ago at least now. And I remember diving into that community, and everybody was so keen to just share what they knew. And I was like, this is so refreshing. And so exciting to see. And I think that that's what, if you can, as a homeowner, when you're talking with your industry professionals, you can start to see, are they willingly sharing? Are they seeking to educate you? Are they seeking to bring you up to speed on these things? Or are they being a little bit closed off? And, you know, and you'll also start to see if you're following them on social media and on their website and things like that, do they come from an education mindset where they just want the industry to improve and they see that they play a role in that? Or are they trying to keep everything to themselves? So. What I'm witnessing on social media uh, in terms of, yeah, them educating each other is amazing. It's really, it's it's a really exciting time to be, I know there's a lot of challenges in this industry, but it's also a really exciting time. It is, it is. It's so great to see so much momentum around it. Now, lastly, what do you think of the no-brainer, um, the quick win choices that really can impact a homeowner's health in their home and that are kind of fairly straightforward choices for them to make when that comes to their renovation or new build project? Yeah, I think uh, flooring choices are a big one. I've actually uh, had a few people that have been experiencing various symptoms and as soon as they've ripped their carpet up, they've noticed an immediate reduction in symptoms and also the amount of water that their dehumidifier has been collecting. So, and also if, you know, if you're going with flooring, the floor finishes are a significant source of of gassing. So if you can go for like a natural oil wax finish rather than a toxic finish, that's going to make a big difference. And something that I'm really passionate about advocating for is hardwired internet. Um, It's such an easy thing to do um, to give people the option of not having radio frequency radiation constantly being emitted within the home and providing a sanctuary for our bodies to rest and repair. Also, I think considering the placement of solar panels is a big one. It's very quick to adopt all these um, measures for energy efficiency, but considering if you've got the option to put solar panels separate to the house um, on a garage, that would be the ideal option because the wiring in the panels emits dirty electricity. And if it can't, if that's not an option, then prior you'd be better off, say, for instance, having them probably in a in a room that you're not spending time a lot of time in during the day when they're going to be the most active. So they're some quite simple things that could make a big difference. Oh, there's some great tips. Zara, I want to thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else that you want to add before we wrap up? Uh, I think I know we've talked a lot about building science and passive house, but I think it, it is important to just say really explicitly that, you know, building high-performing energy-efficient homes is about so much more than energy efficiency. It's actually really critical to managing condensation and mold risk, and that's why having uh, people with those skills um, on your project is so important. Yeah, I've seen um, Andy Marlowe from Envirotexture talking a lot lately about how 
we can't, we've got to stop talking about these things as high performance homes. Like literally they're just actually what homes should be doing. (laughs) And it's just that it's, it's not that, it's not that these homes are radically better or different. It's just that our expectations of our homes has been beaten down to such a low level that it looks like such a dramatic difference. And I think that whatever happened, you know, whenever we see big change happen, particularly in something that is as as old as building and construction, uh, it's always going to make everyone nervous and uh, it's always going to make people fearful. And when people are fearful, they can come out doing all sorts of, you know, that can show up in a lot of different ways. But I think that what I love about this is that there are so many in the industry like yourself and like the builders that I know and architects and designers that are really seeking to help shoulder the, the burden of gaining the knowledge that they can then share and also helping bring along people so that they can embrace this information, wrap their heads around it, and we can kind of improve the industry altogether. So, yes. And sorry, one other thing to add to that is that whatever climate you're in, there are important skills to have, whether or not you, you, whether you're in Queensland, whether you want a passive house or not, you want the people working on your project to at least have those skills. That's the thing. People hear passive house and they go, they sort of just check it out and say, no, I don't want that. But there's so much to be learned from how passive house tackles building and construction. We've talked a lot about passive solar on Undercover Architect and it's something that I harp on and on and on about because I want everybody to always design a house with an understanding of the movement of the sun. And because I think that that's just a it just gets you so far ahead in terms of uh, solving so many problems in the lifestyle in the home and how the home performs. And then there's these other layers that you can add. And I think that taking cues, don't shut out when you hear passive house, don't shut out and say, that's not for me. Look to the things that happen in a passive house build process, in a detailing process and see how they could potentially inform what's going to be suitable for your climate, your budget and the way that you go about your project. And I think, you know, as you said, Zara earlier, really thinking about what your wall composition is, how the insulation and the wall wrap works so that you can make a building envelope that does the job that it needs to and doesn't doesn't cause you long-term health or durability or longevity problems with your home um, is super important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I'm going to pop all the links to you and your resource, your information in the resources so people can check that out. Uh, and for anybody in the industry that's listening, Zara does a huge amount to help educate the industry as well. So make sure you check out those resources too. Thank you so much for your time, Zara. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm so grateful. And that's it for my conversation with Zara. I hope that you found it super helpful to listen to part one and part two over these two episodes and learn more about how mould and dampness can impact your home and what to do during design and construction to really alleviate those issues and how the National Construction Code changes can factor into that as well. There's a lot to take away from this and so make sure you check out the resources as well because I know that there's going to be some helpful information for you there too. Now tuning in for the next episode, okay, make sure you do because I'm going to introduce you to Laura Tanova from Deemed to Perform. Laura is going to help you understand more about approval pathways. So for getting your building approval or your building permit, what the terminology around compliance with the National Construction Code actually means and how this translates into your project process and the team that you need to put together as well. If you heard me in one of the earlier episodes in this series say a lot of terminology like verification method, performance solution, deemed to satisfy, and your head is still spinning a little, then my conversation with Laura is going to be super helpful to clarify these things and give you some tools and action steps to take forward for your project with that knowledge. 
A few reminders before I finish up this episode. If you'd like to grab a transcript of this episode, we've got a free download for you with all of the resources and links on it as well. You can grab that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 288. And if you're a like-minded industry professional located anywhere globally, Australia, New Zealand, overseas, wherever, and you help homeowners renovate, build their homes in any kind of capacity, and you'd like to work more closely with the Undercover Architect community members, then please check out the UA Army. It's free to join and you can find it by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash army. If you'd like more structured help and guidance and you'd like to feel more confident and in control as you learn the steps from start to finish of your project journey and how to create a great home that you'll love living in, then Home Method is definitely the place for you. We've been talking about the National Construction Code changes for quite some time inside Home Method. It's where you can obviously get a lot of support and information uh, ahead of the curve and really get some industry insights into what's going on. And of course, you'll join a community of amazing and super informed homeowners on a similar journey to you. And you'll access my personalised support and guidance in your project as well. It's the only place that you can do it. Uh, So if that's what you're looking for in your project, I really encourage you to check out Home Method. You can find out more by heading to homemethod.com.au or to the website, Undercover Architects website and the menu item Home Method. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye. Just a reminder, all content on this podcast is provided by Undercover Architect for reference purposes and as general guidance. It does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. You should seek independent verification or advice before relying on this content in any circumstances, including but not limited to circumstances where loss and damage may result. The views and opinions of any guests on the podcast are solely their own and may not reflect the views of Undercover Architect. Undercover Architect endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or has become inaccurate over time. Thank you.